Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Jody. She is a self-published author who writes about topics considered taboo in South Asian communities. It is fictional writing that she does, and she started writing as part of her healing journey. So she'll share more about that and her books, along with some of her personal background. So thank you so much, Jody, for being here today. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Jody. I am a self-published author, as I just mentioned. I am Punjabi, and I started writing in May of 2022 with my first novel, my debut novel, coming out in October of 2022, titled The Chaos Within Us. And so do you want to share kind of starting with what got you into writing and how, you know, you've published more than just that debut novel in such a short Mm -hmm. time? Yeah, um, I actually started writing as a way of healing. I had, was in therapy in 2021, 2022, due to um, my mom's youngest brother, who I'll just be referring to as my uncle throughout the podcast. So it's my mom's youngest brother. And March 6, 2021, they had come to California, where I'm from, from India. I was born and raised in California um, in a small, uh, small little town. So Clash of Cultures was one of uh, the biggest things that my uncle and I never really saw eye to eye. And growing up in America versus him growing up in India was very, very different for us. I would constantly tell him that he needs to find a job here in America. He can't just get away with not doing anything. Um, Very controlling of his two daughters at that time, they didn't have a third one. They just had a third one now in um, March 5th of this year. Um, so with that being said, it had turned, the six months that they had lived with us turned into me being a victim of gaslighting, emotional abuse, mental abuse. And I was actually telling Sarah prior to recording that I did call the police and it, it had gotten that bad that I had to call the police and they said, you know, emotional abuse was one of the hardest things to prove. But the person I talked to, the police officer, was very gentle, very nice. Like, he explained it pretty well. And I just, I was losing weight constantly because depression had reached so bad, too. And my therapist told me writing was a way of healing. Now, she never said, go out and write a book. She said, journaling. But... Journaling wasn't doing anything for me. So with that, I decided um, to go ahead and give The Chaos Within Us a try after, actually. I read this book. It's a part of a series. It, it's trending, actually, right now on, like, book talk and everything. It's called the Akatar series of Court of Thorns and Roses. Yeah. I, and, like, the first few books didn't even, like, call out to me. I read them because my sister recommended it. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll read whatever. But... Silver Flames, um, A Court of Silver Flames, which is the last book that's out. I know there's going to be, like, another one coming eventually. But that actually got me. I read it, and I was like, this is trauma is so relatable to me. 
that it's the first book that ever I was just like crying and I'm just like like let me hold this fake this fictional character I'm like let me hold you please I understand your pain and then after that I was like you know what maybe writing because if I like I was able to relate to a character and then little did I know that if you pull up my goodreads now there's reviews on the chaos within us that say like yeah your characters are relatable and that was kind of my goal is to not only have one or two relatable characters but I found ways to make my secondary characters relatable to people too. So do you want to share a little bit kind of about what The Chaos Within is about and how, you know, you were able to start, you know, writing, processing trauma through publishing that book? So The Chaos Within Us, none of my books are like self-help books. They're all fictional, but they do cover the taboo topics. So Chaos Within Us covers that gaslighting, emotional abuse, and mental abuse aspect of, um, I guess, my life, quote-unquote, my life. Um, The characters' names in the book are Neeti and Abhi. Neeti's trauma, only the trauma in the book is my trauma. Everything else is, it's fictional, you know, it's an enemies to lovers kind of uh, trope. Not even kind of, it is an enemies to lovers trope. And then... um, (laughs) Uh, what else about that? Um, it also talks about like adoption, growing up, um, growing up Desi, growing up South Asian. I know a lot of people say adoption is not something that they want in their families or it's something that people will be like, oh, what's wrong with you and this and that. So that kind of triggered me into writing books where um, adoption is one of the me- main um, key points. I know in my fourth book, Beautiful Mistake, which is the sequel to the second one, Beautiful Consequence. There's adoption in that one. And I actually have a book that's coming out next week, which will be the week this podcast is out, called Finding Home, which also discusses about um, domestic abuse, emotional abuse again, but also talks about adoption and in the sense of how a family is structured in the, like, Desi community, South Asian community, once adoption comes into play. And so if you're not necessarily like pulling from your personal experience, though sometimes you are, where are you kind of getting inspiration for your characters and their storylines? I usually actually get it from a Facebook page that's only for um, for like um, brown girls, South Asian girls. And I never give away the, that page name due to the fact that a lot of girls and women are in there as that's the safe place that they have and I kind of um see like what's common like what keeps reoccurring when these females are like venting out right and that's kind of what I take I don't take anybody's story I take what's common and I kind of put that into a book and see how can you know and help like people understand that they're not alone because not only is it that South Asian girls are going through it, there's also probably going to be another cultural loss, another culture that goes through it. Right. That makes sense. Now, would you be willing to share a little bit kind of about your culture, about growing up in California and, you know, your background and your parents' background, seeing as, you know, you do or did have family living in India? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have anybody living there anymore. Everyone is here now in um, America. I have people in um, New Hampshire and I have people in California. So that's why I just say America. No. Um, 
But yeah, uh, I grew up in Jambi. I grew up here in, I've lived in this small town for my entire life. And it's a small county too. Uh, for safety purposes, I'm just not giving away like this, the town name or the county name. Um, but small, uh, there's actually a lot of Punjabis though in this town. And I guess I, I actually wasn't really connected to my culture growing up in America. Like I didn't really have Punjabi friends in elementary school, but I always knew my mother tongue because my mom always spoke to us in it. Thankfully, like my mom and dad, because I know some people that cannot even speak it. And I just look at them like, whoa, <laughs> like, okay, never mind. Um, but yeah, my parents, my grandparents, they would always speak to us in Punjabi, which was how I was able to learn the language. But it wasn't until I got to Merced College and I had a friend that was from India that um, got me into like Punjabi music. And that's kind of when I started connecting to my culture a lot more. And I feel like that's just the step that I needed because now I'm the one who's always on the dance floor, like dancing to all the songs and everybody's like, where's, where's my dance partner? And I'm like, I'm over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, I, I guess a lot of people do say like, if I don't go to, Oh, like, like the actual ceremony, they don't mind. But if I'm not at like the pre-wedding event or at the reception, they're like, okay, now that's going to be a problem. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't make it. I have like, I, I think I went to one where I had a prior commitment so I couldn't make it. And I just remember everybody, the wedding ceremony day was like, where were you? Do you know how boring the dance floor was? And I'm just like, uh, I had prior commitments. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. But yeah. And so then this friend that you met in college, who kind of helped introduce you to Punjabi culture. Um, mm-hmm. Is that friend kind of, you know, still in your life? Are they now in the States permanently or are they back in oh, India? Oh, yeah, she- she is no she's she moved here um i actually went to high school with her brother which i didn't even know like same age we literally found out later when i was at their house and he's like hey and i'm like oh crap i'm like i know you <laughs> so yeah no i went to um high school with her brother and she actually just had a baby boy so she's busy she moved to about two hours away now from she was within like walking distance from me but now she's like two hours away in a car um but like it it was um my mom actually had broken her wrist at that time and I didn't have a license so we I had my permit though so we would try to go to the bus stop and then go to college and then um eventually they started giving me a ride because their house was like right there and they were always playing that um they were always be playing Punjabi music and Eventually, I started listening to it. I found out about Punjabi artists. I found I got into Punjabi movies because growing up, I was I was raised more like on Bollywood. But then I, I got to the point where I didn't really like Bollywood. I would just watch um, more American movies, especially like every winter. Even now, like my sister and I have a tradition where we'll get hot chocolate and we watch Harry Potter. <laughs> like that's a running tradition ever since like I don't know high school maybe high school, middle school. So yeah, it's been that. And then eventually I started, once I connected with my culture and I went to, from community college to the four year, when I transferred out, I started working for the student newspaper at um, CSU Stanislaus. 
um, so I worked there, and then I um, actually started my own column called Punjabi Andas, which I was able to tell people about Punjabi culture through student newspaper, through writing. And I minored in journalism since I was doing that too. And I never thought I would ever go back to writing. When I was doing my, when I was doing my um, BA and my MA, my goal was to get into social media marketing. And that's what my focus was when I did my MA was social media marketing. And I just came back full circle to writing, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, something that was kind of smaller uh, in your collegiate years to turn into a, a much bigger part. Are you in social media marketing at all? Or are you more focused on being an author? I'm, I am looking for work. I'm still looking for work. I'll say that. Um, it's funny, they say, come so broad, you can do anything. And I'm like, well, I'm trying to do anything right now. I can't find a job. But I don't know. I think the fact that I graduated 2021 with my master's, so I technically graduated in the pandemic where I was able to, um, unable to get an, an, an internship. So that kind of stops me from finding work too. I just get temporals. And I am thankful though. I'm very grateful because without this break, I feel like I would have never had the chance to become an author, be on podcast and, you know, um, meet other people through like bookstagram and stuff. So then are you planning on continuing to write and publish even more? I, yeah, I have Finding Home coming out next week. I took a break from March after I, I released Better Than Him. And that was my book before my break. I wasn't sure I wanted to continue writing or continuing. Um, or if I wanted to, I do want a full-time like job, right? So I am looking around. But um, after that, I wasn't like, too sure and in the meantime I just went back to writing and I have four books that I've written so I guess in total I have written 10 books I just have to release those four with one of them coming out next week so then three more to go after that and so what is the writing process kind of like for you and you know first having the idea for a book to getting it to the point where you are ready to publish it um, for me, I guess it really depends on if I want that book to have a sequel. So for, okay, my first goal was to only write four books. So in Beautiful Mistake, which is the, the sequel to Beautiful Consequence, you see, obviously, the characters of Beautiful Consequence, but you also see the characters of The Chaos Within Us and the chance we took, because I thought I was just going to be done after that. Contracted Together was never supposed to happen. It was never planned, but then my sister said to me, and my cousin from New Hampshire was in the car. He, he was raised in, like, he was raised in America, too. And he was in the car, and my sister goes, so what does it feel like to be the unsuccessful big sister? And I'm like, okay. And that kind of just triggered that book, because I just, I wanted to, you know, I was like, I'm not going to let, like, her get to me again and again and again. She was... Also, one of the reasons I was in therapy, but um, in Contracted Together, it's it's funny because that book is doing like the best. So if you open my Goodreads or if you open like my Amazon, you'll see that that one has like 37 next to it and the other ones will have like 10, 9, 5. And I'm like, yep, yeah, that was a revenge book. <laughs> and it's doing exactly that. 
And so what does it kind of mean to be someone who self-publishes to have to kind of put yourself out there for your books? It's, it's harder. It's way harder than being with an agency. Um, you know, you see books like the Twisted series, which I liked only like two books, the last two in the Twisted. No offense, Anna Hong, if you're listening. <laughs> like, I only liked the last two books. And then I didn't, I haven't even read King of Pride. I never bothered with anything again. And then like Coho books, like a lot of people do not like Coho books, me included. Um, it's like those books will get the hype because they have publishers and they have the PR and they have um, the team, I guess you can say, to go ahead and get it out and get the word trending to everyone. Whereas for me, I am my own team. I guess you can say I am my own social media marketer. I am my own like author. I'm the person that has to find people to make the cover art. I have to look through. Inst- um, one way I promote is actually look through Instagram because I don't have TikTok. But I look through Instagram to see um, people that read. So they have their bookstagram account. And I'll reach out to them. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm a self-published author. Um, and I would love to send you a PDF copy if you would like to review it. And then that's kind of how I get my word out. is because some will say no. Some will completely ignore you because they think it's spam. But um, some will actually take it. And they'll make a post on their Instagram. And... I always make sure they have like a good following to follower ratio first. Um, and then when they make their post, I'll like go through the comments and see that other people are uh, interested based off the review that has been given by the person that read the book. And from there, it helps me in getting the word out. And then I know one person who like makes reels for my books as well. And her Instagram is like Ruhani Reads Romance. So, and she does pretty well too, like with the, with the reels that she makes. Nice. And so it's definitely kind of, you know, it is a bit of a full-time job to be, you know, promoting yourself um, and, and putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm. And then you don't really get paid like full-time position. The royalties are only like two to $3, which is why books are so expensive because we have to price it to like 16 17 dollars so we make something from it and how does are your books print only or do you also have um like ebook options or anything like that yes i do i i make um the person who does my layout uh one so one thing for about me is my team quote unquote because people change all the time is um from etsy so my editor, I found her on Etsy. My, well, some of the people that do the cover design, I found them on Etsy. Two, well, Finding Home and The Chance We Took. And then I have another book, which is like my 10th book, which will have like sunflowers on the cover. And that those are actually friends I made on Twitter through K-pop because I'm into K-pop too. <laughs> um, they actually do um, art on the side and they did those covers so that's why I'm saying like it changes. And then my layout person will also change. But the people I found that do interior design will not only make it for print, they also make it for EPUB. And I know my books are free on Kindle and Unlimited because I guess you're already paying for the service that makes the book free. Nice. Um, now I'm curious because you did just mention that you like K-pop. 
um, and you were previously talking about Punjabi music, kind of where where K-pop fits into all of this. 2017. <laughs> it was in 2017, 2016. I want to say around there. Around around 2016 or 17. Um, my sister and my coworker, they were really into it. And um, well, the, the coworker was the same person who actually worked in the student newspaper with me. So we would be sitting and she would be playing it. And then whenever I was home, my sister would be playing it. So I just gave it a chance. And I love to dance. And the dances in K-pop are just beyond amazing. And I'm like, that blows my mind. So I guess dancing, the aspect of dancing got me into it. And then like um, hearing this like struggles and just kind of staying with it. Because I know K-pop idols, it, to debut, they go through a very rough and rigorous training and like some people make it and some people don't even like they have to just give up so yeah and my concerts have always just been k-pop actually the only concerts i've gone to are k-pop concerts and is it um i know that there are k-pop touring uh groups and and they do come to the states does any Indian music ever come to the States or if you kind of wanted to see that live, would you have to go somewhere else? No, no, they, they tour. Um, Punjabi artists tour, Bollywood artists tour. They they, they have uh, world tours too, not just like America or, in, or India or anything. Um, I know that like, thankfully I live in California and I'm not like, I'm like about a five hour drive to LA. So it's not even like, I, I know people always go to LA. But then also, like, I'm, like, two hours away from, like, San Francisco, San Jose, like, the Bay Area. So I know people go there, too, which is, like, I'm, like, right in, like, the right spot where if I want to go to L.A., I can. Like, sure, I'll have to get a hotel or whatever, but it's, like, a four- or five-hour drive. And then, like, Bay Area is, like, two hours from me only. So are you going to, at some point, go to a Benjabi concert? I, okay, so I've actually only heard, like, people say that they would never do that because of the way people are there, I guess. They're very, like, rowdy and um, ignorant of other people, okay. if that's the right word to use. I haven't been to one, but I know a lot of people are say that they wouldn't. They would prefer something else. Um, I know my sister, she, she's, her first concert was Imagine Dragons, and then it was just K-pop for a while. And now she's going to go see Taylor Swift in L.A. So it's just, it's different for us. Like the only concerts I, pref- I do love like events, I guess I can say, but concerts wise, I've only been to K-pop, but events wise, I've been to like, I'm a Niners fan. So I've been to Niners games. I've been to Golden State Warriors basketball games. Um, we grew up, my grandpa, when he babysat us, he would watch wrestling. So we grew up on WWE. So I've been to like Raw and SmackDown and I know it's coming here in California, like, again. I didn't get to go to WrestleMania, which I was really sad because it was in California. But tickets were crazy expensive. You know, it's a big event. But I know that we're going to go, like, again when it comes to here. And other than that, I really don't... I guess my other activity outdoors would be hiking, and that's about me. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a wide breadth of different things that you have interest and passion about. One of my characters, actually, in the 10th book, uh, I'm just going to really quickly pull up the, the name because I renamed it when I gave her the title. So it was um, the 10th book. What, it's going to be called Don't Know You. 
and it actually one of my characters is South Korean, like he's from South Korea. And for their spring break, because it's like a college setting, they go to Korea. And it's kind of my way of living through my characters too, because when I do the research and I watch the videos and everything and I'm like, okay, so like this, like that. And, you know, I get to find out like about Name, about Hongdae, um, Gangnam, Jeju Island, everything like that. So I want to make sure that I put that right representation into my book too. So none of my representation is not researched. Mm-hmm. And that's so important um, in having different representation that it is accurate representation for the cultures and places that you're you're setting your books in yeah and like i also try to make less seen cultures or religions and put them into my novel like sikhism uh we see characters with like dating dr dale that are like indian um but you don't see a lot of punjabi characters right so that's one of my goals too is to put punjabi representation out in the world um I know there's like now more Asian representation with like things like Squid Games trending and like K-pop trending, K-dramas, K-pop. So I saw that too, but not as much as there's like other characters, other representations. So that's one of my reasons that I try to do like a Japanese character or a South Korean character or Middle Eastern character. Ah, I think that is so important to want to have that representation and and then to do it accurately. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like you did mention that you live a little bit vicariously through your characters when doing research in different places. So do you want to travel to some of these places where your books are located? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. After I do my research and then I'll, I'll find like the pros and cons to um, as well. And then I'll debate if I want to put that place in. And even when I do that, whenever I put places in for like a honeymoon or like a business tour, um, you know, for the characters that are CEOs, um, business meetings or spring breaks, because I do have books that are set in college and have books that are set in like high school. My goal is to also put places you don't see quite often. In um, one of my books, I just put like Cartanega, Colombia, which... I like I didn't see Columbia like represented in a book. Maybe I'm not reading the right books, but I never saw that, you know. And then um, there's Sitchels. I might be pronouncing it wrong, but that's in Africa. So there's like these places that here and there I will put like popular kind of places like Barcelona or like um, Cabo in Mexico. But the goal is always to have it like other places that when people pick up the book and they're like, that's my country or, Oh shit, I'm from here. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you, you know, when you were younger and like absorbing media, did you Mm -hmm. see yourself reflected in any sort of media? Mm -mm. Never. No, not really. Um, Because even like, the only Indian aspect, I guess, you can got, that I got growing up was like Harry Potter, with the with the twins, and even that wasn't Punjabi representation. It was South Asian representation, but it wasn't Punjabi representation. And I know this new um, Spider-Man movie that just came out. They actually had a turban, a, a guy with a turban, so that was pretty cool. A lot of people were talking about that. Yeah, would you be willing to 
kind of uh, in simplistic terms, uh, explain kind of the difference of what Punjabi representation is kind of compared to other um, South Asian culture representation that you might have seen? Okay, I'll try. <laughs> no guarantee. This is the first time somebody has ever asked me that. I'll try. But um, so Punjabi representation is basically for me. I know there's Punjabi Hindus, but I focus primarily on Punjabi Sikhs and Punjabi culture based in India, not Punjab based in Pakistan. There's for those of you that didn't know, there's two Punjabs too. I guess uh, due to the 1947 partition. So a lot of people speak Punjabi, but they're in Pakistan or they speak Punjabi and they're in India. So my representation is always based on India Punjab due to the fact that that's the Punjabi I will fall under. And uh, a lot of Sikhism references are made. I know in the chance we took, I talked about um, Vesakhi, which is the Sikh New Year. And I kind of talked about why it's celebrated. And then I talked about like superstitions that people believe in. I don't believe in superstitions. Like at all, I just I don't know why I just never wrap my head around it because they'll say like don't do this and then I'll go do it and then nothing will happen and then I'm like okay proved wrong <laughs> right so there's that but um, I guess a lot of representation even in Never Have I Ever is not like Punjabi representation I don't know if have you heard that um, Netflix show Never Have I Ever. I feel like it sounds familiar, but I am, I don't consume a lot of media to be totally honest, so, but it like, it's, it's there in the back of my brain. I'm like, I have heard, I have heard of it. What about Bridgerton? <laughs> that I've heard of that. I know, I know what Bridgerton is. Yeah, I've, but I've never watched you... it, but I know what it is. <laughs> See, that's South Asian representation. Even in the first, I want to say it was the first season of Love is Blind. It probably was because I never gave a crap about it afterwards. <laughs> so, yeah, it probably was the first season. Um, it's all South Asian representation, meaning more like Hindu cultures and like Tamil culture and like their um, religions, sorry, like religions and cultures with very, very, very little Punjabi representation like ever in any media like Netflix, Hulu, uh, Prime anything so that's what i'm saying like hopefully my books one day can be successful enough to have that punjabi representation on netflix or as a movie or on hulu or anywhere yeah well i appreciate you kind of working through all of that and sharing a little bit more detail um as it you know different cultures are are always something to be interested in and learn more about and know that Mm -hmm. you know there are differences it isn't just one conglomerate in india yeah and i know one thing my aunt told me recently when my cousin was getting married and she and somebody was asking me when's the last time you went to india and i was like 2009 and after that they were like oh like you should go again and my my aunt she was like india is just a one-time thing if you've seen it you've seen it and i couldn't agree anymore with her like if you go once that's more than enough you do it's not one place you're gonna be like oh i can't wait to go back like, to me, my cousin's getting married in February, and I'm like, I telling my mom, like, do I have to go? Like, I know he's my cousin, and I'm like, but do I have to go? Like, do I really have to go back to India? You know, and whereas the only reason I would go is I can stop in South Korea and not have to waste, like, 1200 or 1000 you know, $1,300 on a plane ticket just to go to South Korea again. Or, like, Asia. Like, I think Asia's 
very beautiful, like the countries there, from what I've seen on social media and what I've seen on like YouTube and everything. But at the same time, it's like visiting a place once, I feel like would be better than hearing about it a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And But of course, uh, it sounds like from earlier, your family will want you at the wedding so that you can be on the dance floor. <laughs> No, I know my cousin's my cousin. His sister has already told me that we're gonna plan a performance. She told me first. She's like, we're gonna plan a performance, and I'm like, you want me to choreograph this? I'm just like, no, we can choreograph it together. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. Oh gosh, that is too great. Now, earlier, you were talking, you know, about like all the sports that you know you follow, oh, like- and um, you know, parents and grandparents have introduced you to. And that also that you weren't necessarily as aware or, or as part of Punjabi culture until later um, mm-hmm. in, into, college. into college. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, besides for language, was there anything from parents or grandparents that did come through culture wise growing up? Or was it more of you really just assimilated to American culture? Um, I want to say a bit of both because when I got into that, um, when I got to like college, that's when I started like expect, accepting, (laughs) accepting who I really am. Like, okay, I'm Punjabi, like, you know, um, and I started understanding more of traditions that we do at our weddings and like culture, religion, everything, um, a little more because my friends were you know, like down the street and they would be like, let's do this and let's do that. I'm like, okay. It wasn't even until college, not even junior college. It wasn't until I transferred to the four year that I played Holy for the first time. So can you explain what that is? It's a festival of color. Basically it's like, um, everybody kind of gets together. You just throw color on each other. Yeah. The best I can explain it. Um, I, I'd like, I didn't really grow up playing it. Mm-hmm. So I really can't explain it a lot. Even my characters don't play holy. They celebrate Vasaki though, because that's more of a Punjabi Sikh holiday. I also have a character in Better Than Him. I think that's the only character I have that are like the main characters that are mixed. So it's like mixed Punjabi Italian. Because one, I've always wanted to go to Italy, so I loved researching it. And then two, I wanted a, a book where the characters were mixed. And I think just having mixed characters and putting Punjabi rep- um, representation and Italian representation, not just with the holidays or the way they talk or whatever, but the fact that when I was writing the novel, I actually used Italian words, Italian sentences, and I used the Gurmukhi, which is the Punjabi alphabet, as I wrote too so you'll see the novels in english but you'll see like some punjabi and you'll see some italian and i was like that's a perfect thing to do before taking a break from publishing like i didn't stop writing i mean i stopped writing now that i have 10 books out like done i mean not out but like done but that's what i wanted to do is something nice i guess something different before going on that break yeah i think that makes a lot of sense now, because having mixed characters was important to you, and you know you've talked about some cousins and some weddings and stuff like that, 
In Punjabi culture, is it often that you marry someone who's Punjabi or is there an acceptance of marrying someone outside of your culture? Um, okay, well, honestly, it really depends on the family because I know that I have cousins um, that are married outside the culture, right? My my dad's my dad's youngest brother, he's married to um, a Mexican and she's just one of the sweetest people and their kids are just the cutest too, right? And then I, I know like my grandma always tells me like, oh, you need to marry up in Jobby so I can talk to him or whatever. But then I always tell myself, I'm like, will I be happy? Because growing up now that I see my religion and I see like my culture, like the Indian culture in general, and I'm not talking just Punjabi, like South Asian in general, and you kind of see what kind of guys they are. And you realize, oh, you know, like maybe I don't, maybe I will not be happy because I, I read a lot about adoption. Adoption is something I've always wanted to do since middle school. And I know that, like I told, um, I don't know if this was recorded already or if we were talking about it earlier, but I'll say it again. But um, adoption is something that I is kind of frowned upon in in the South Asian communities, which never will ever make sense to me because get, wanting to give a child a second chance at life is something that I don't think anybody should have a problem with. Yeah, there are some um, divisive opinions on some what should be easy yeah. things to gather. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, you, you did mention how you have put adoption into at least one of your books. And I think those sort yeah. of passions and, and um, kind of like good ways of life is an important to see. And whether mm -hmm. it's, it's culture or adoption, you know, having more places where people can see it positively is, is really important. Yeah, my my thesis actually for my master's degree was on uh, adoption in South Asian communities and how it's like frowned upon. So originally my thesis was supposed to be like a podcast, but then COVID hit. So I had to like actually do a written thesis and I was like, this sucks. <laughs> but, yeah. So I'm very big on addressing these issues, you know, um, and like way in, way in the start, we mentioned taboo. If I'm just going to go through really quickly and... Um, Kind of go through which book has what. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Okay. So Chaos Within Us debut novel has emotional abuse, gaslighting, and mental abuse. What's a Beautiful Consequence has domestic abuse, but it also talks about, uh, and no, talks about menstrual health, which is a topic that South Asian women do not know anything about growing up. It's a topic that people don't even talk about until it like happens, and you know they go, "Oh, that's normal at this age." You're like your first one, and everybody's like, "It's just normal. Don't worry about it." And it's like, "Oh, sh okay." Um, and then the third one, chance we took, talks about divorce, emotional blackmail. Fourth one talks about fibroids and endometriosis as well. So once again, that menstrual health. And then um, Better Than Him and Contracted Together were just kind of two, like, books I just wanted to write to write, basically. Um, they're not, like, taboo topics in those books necessarily, as much as they are just fictional novels that I wanted to put out. And then with um, the upcoming ones, I know Finding Home talks about adoption. 
Great. Well, I think, uh, you know, writing about taboo topics and putting all these different representations into your books, I think it is a great place to be and, and so important to write about. Now, before I start to wrap things up here at the end, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners today? Um, well, I would say that, you know, I don't have a background in English. I don't have a background in writing. I didn't go to school to be an English major. So if you ever want to write a book, just know you can do it. You don't need to have that degree. You can always self-publish um, a lot of books that Trent were originally self-published. They just got into the right hands. Um, eventually, just keep putting yourself, putting your work out there. And hopefully one day, you know, your books will be popular on Bookstagram or BookTok or whatever new app or whatever new feature comes out by the time that you put your book out. Right. I think that is um, some good words of wisdom there uh, for people to hear and to realize that, you know, it is possible to author a book. Now, at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question. Typically not doing with whatever we've been talking about. My question for you could be related to what we've been talking about. Um, what was the coolest thing from your childhood? The coolest thing. I Okay. I say this often, and I don't mind saying it either, because I feel like therapy is something that generations, like, is changing with generation. But I don't remember my childhood because of the trauma that I've gone through like you know when your brain is like traumatized you don't remember much and I that, that's kind of what happened to me like I don't remember it like I remember 2019 like barely but I was in my 20s already in 2019 so I don't remember my childhood because my uncle had traumatized me to the point where it's just I can't even if I try to think back prior to 2019 even though he didn't come in 2000. He came first in 2019. Yeah, he did because he was at my cousin's wedding. But he was living with my other aunt who lives like across the street from us. And after that, I just, I can't, like, I can't remember anything. Do you have something cool from adulthood that you would like to share? Oh, yes. Okay. A lot. I did a lot in my adulthood, I guess you can say that. Um, But I want to say, I think the first K-pop concert that I went to would be like one of the best because it was the first trip that we took to LA and it was just as siblings like our parents didn't go and usually our parents went with us you know um but it was the first trip that it was just three siblings and we got to go to LA and it was the first time ever that I actually met my friends that I made on the internet and I was like these are real people and I just remember like I still remember it was like a a key moment I guess you can say that just like a core moment that gets locked in and I just remember us like seeing each other and just hugging like really tight and just like being like, oh my God, like this is actually happening. And then seeing the first, like that was my first concert too. So seeing Got7, Eyes on You in LA was probably my favorite memory from adulthood. All right, that brings this episode to a close. So of course, if you would like to connect with Jodi and see some of her books, I'll be leaving plenty of links in the description. We've got her website, you've got her Instagram, you've got her Goodreads profile. So if you do read some of her books, go 
there and review them and let them let her know how great they are. And I'll also be leaving another link um, that Jodi has created. Um, uh, she's created a site about mental health and can offer resources and connections and conversations. So feel free to check that out as well. It will be in the description with those other links. And of course, if you would like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description. It brings you to all of our past episodes, resources, and our social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So feel free to go follow those pages. And if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, my email is in the description. That is always the best way to reach me. And if you would like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that as well. So thank you so much, Jody, for spending time with me today. And to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Bye-bye.